Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, let me ask you, would you like to live a healthy, strong life until you're about 175, 180? Well, today's guest is doing just that. We have on the show biohacker and serial entrepreneur, Serge Faget. And Serge and I had this wonderful conversation about biohacking, about what the body is truly capable of, how to regenerate your cells, how to reverse the aging process, how to slow the aging process, and so much more. It was a fascinating conversation. So if you are interested in living a long and healthy life, let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Serge Forget. How are you doing, Serge? Hey, hey, Alex. How are you? I'm good, my friend. I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm I am fascinated to talk to you. You're a very fascinating person in general. You have multi levels of things that you have done in your in your life so far. Uh, but what I really wanted to focus our conversation on today is how to live to 125 years old uh, or older, uh, which you might be the man that can help us with that. So uh, I read your article about uh, how you spent 200. Is it true you spent 200 thousand dollars? On biohacking. I think it was. I think it was more than that uh, when counting fees for uh, quite expensive doctors. Plus, uh, there were a lot of expensive tests and procedures. But uh, it's actually possible to do a lot of that at a much uh, lower price point. And I think we'll talk about that today. Sure. So, can you explain to everybody what uh, is biohacking? So the idea I like, my favorite term for biohacking is performance medicine. So essentially, the idea is just as a top athlete uh, has a team of medical doctors who suggest to them how they should sleep, how they should eat, testing their uh, biomarkers, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, so uh, all of us can be, especially the high performing, uh, high impact people uh, like yourself or other people who are building businesses or uh, who are consultants or who are investors. Uh, there's a lot of people who uh, have a lot riding on their shoulders and the world is pretty fucking stressful nowadays, uh, right? There's a financial crisis and there's uh, threats of nuclear war and there's uh, all the political um, instability uh, everywhere. And that's on top of, you know, your previously competitive job where you have to be your best. And I think that the truly top athletes, uh, sorry, uh, truly top performers and professionals of uh, today should be like athletes in that they should be supported by a 
team of people who are uh, looking at their health, who are helping them develop the right habits, and who are also helping them uh, develop themselves mentally, psychologically, and spiritually, because that's also very important for your well-being. And um, it's really about getting support across all three of these areas. And that's really what uh, biohacking uh, is. I can go into detail on each one of those. If you can, if you, if you can go a little bit, yeah, that'd be great. Sure. So let's start with the medical. Uh, so if um, you're a normal human, there's a bunch of parameters in your body like um, that um, are represented by proteins in uh, some respects that uh, can be out of whack just because of normal human variation. This is not at all about sickness. And so uh, some people will have uh, particular unique features, like, for example, I have relatively low thyroid hormones. And um, uh, I discovered that through extensive testing that uh, I was doing together with my doctor at the time, Peter Atia, also a famous biohacker and um, uh, thinker about these ideas. Mm. And essentially, fixing that thyroid hormone issue by taking a little bit, like a tiny bit of um, synthetic thyroid hormone, which is available um, just as a prescription drug. You, I felt uh, more energy, better mood, and generally just, just like a better vibe um, throughout my day. And I remember the day this happened, I was staying at this hotel in New York and, uh, I tried, uh, this stuff for the first time and then just had an awesome day. And then that just kept, um, we kept titrating the right solution. So essentially, uh, understanding quite exactly how much you have to take. So that's an example of a medical intervention. There's lots of others. Hormones are particularly uh, popular, but there's also other things you can be doing to perform better, including things to do with longevity. Um, so for example, a particular um, drug called rapamycin uh, is a very, very promising longevity uh, drug candidate. Uh, and uh, you can already take it, but you need some medical advice and supervision to uh, to use it. But most doctors are not going to prescribe it to you because they haven't even heard it because who the fuck wants to live to be a healthy 140-year-old, right? So right. Uh, the unfortunately, unfortunately, like part of my um, uh, part of my uh, career has been building companies in health tech and uh, uh, biotech. And I'll talk about a, uh, a, a relevant one later today. But um, and the issue is really that the medical system doesn't support you in the right way to be the most awesome human that you can be. They're just focused on fixing sick people who are getting ridiculous bills paid for by insurance companies. So um, so that's the medical part of biohacking, which is really taking the time to learn and to build a support base, for example, to find the right doctor who thinks in the right uh, creative way or find uh, the right solution about this somehow. And um, uh, yeah, that's the first part. The second part is behavioral change, which is actually more difficult than the medical part. The medical part is both difficult and easy in that you have to find the right doctor, 
But once you find the right doctor, they'll just do tests on you and prescribe you pills and you take the pills and you feel better. That's like really, really easy. The behavioral change um, part of the equation is quite uh, difficult just because behavioral change is extremely hard. So I'm a hardcore biohacker. I've been for many years, but I cannot stop myself from eating sugar when I am stressed out. I just, just can't. I, I just stop caring. So, um, uh, so, and behavioral change is hard and it's extremely important because until you have done, I would actually say like you should start from behavioral change, but it's, um, it really has to go as a package. So behavioral change is um, uh, difficult because we have habits. Those habits um, have uh, been created by our life experiences. And if we have done something a million times before, it's very likely that we'll automatically do it again. And for things that are extremely important to our health and to living long and to performing extremely well, um, it's really important to sleep well. Um, to actually have like a consistent sleep schedule and to track a little bit um, if there's anything wrong with your sleep and just to sleep a lot. Sleep is awesome. Um, and uh, uh, the next part is food. Obviously, eating well and eating the right uh, eating the right diet is uh, extremely important. And um, uh, the last, uh, well, and another uh, thing is exercise. So if you exercise and walk and get a lot of that done and you essentially find ways to do it every day, I mean, it could be said that Apple, like wearing an Apple watch and checking out your steps per day is biohacking. It could be that, um, you know, moving to uh, live somewhere with uh, beautiful nature where you can take long walks and um, uh, encourage your habits to change that way, that's biohacking. So it's just thinking about um, making conscious uh, changes to your, uh, to your behaviors. And um, I think for this, uh, coaching is extremely important. So like an external person, because um, it, you, it's really hard to change habits. It's just like, I would say it's close to impossible to do without someone else um, who's working with you and who's consciously reminding you and who's keeping you uh, accountable uh, and, um, uh, and the like. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And the other challenge is neuroplasticity, which is um, really about how ready your brain is to change, to change its uh, patterns. It's actually like about how much new neurons grow and old neurons rearrange. And that's really where we get to the third part, which I've personally found the most fascinating over uh, the last several years, um, which is the mental slash uh, spiritual part of uh, well-being. And here, there's a lot of tools. So like you can go and work with a psychotherapist, which is extremely valuable. You can uh, learn to meditate, which also is. You can take psychedelics, which are a really powerful um, way of encouraging neuroplasticity. And you can, um, um, you can also, well, build a community of relationships and um, other things that just enhance uh, your well-being um, and allow you to develop a, as, um, 
uh, a person from like a moral perspective, from an emotional perspective, from all these different uh, perspectives. And that's really the one that's um, uh, most, um, well, uh, again, it's it's just difficult to explain exactly how it Mm -hmm. works, right? But there's a bunch of tools that that, uh, seem uh, uh, to work. And actually, so I, um, one of the uh, things um, where uh, that I'm working on is to uh, essentially create a package of these three um, these three things together in a subscription product for uh, about starting at about five thousand uh, dollars a year with an app. So essentially, it's it's called um, Novami Health. We're in private beta right now, but um, which you can apply to be in, but uh, it's um, it's essentially uh, the idea is to have an app where you get a video message from your coach about how your last night's metrics are looking and um, uh, about um, what you should pay special attention to today, uh, depending on like your sleep trackers and uh, the like. And then essentially in a single interface, just have uh, different actions pop up from uh, time to time and be supported by an actual person who you are uh, interacting with. So I think like to truly, um, so all usually health apps are pretty crap because you, you just can't like work with it properly because you forget about it and it keeps nagging you and maybe you, you adapt to a particular thing, but if you don't want to, you're not going to. But if there's an actual person and you're paying for that person's time. I find that I never miss the gym unless yeah. I'm like truly sick. If right. there's a person there whose time I have paid for. And that's really what we're trying to capture together. Uh, so essentially to have people uh, take. So so for us, uh, psychedelics and ketamine is uh, part of um, the basic product that we're putting together. It's a schedule three drug so like quite safe quite uh, reputable from a regulatory perspective and you can prescribe it to uh, people and it seems to have a very uh, good neuroplasticity effect because essentially as you're coming out of the uh, trip and the next couple of days you are more receptive to change well let me ask, and, let, uh, let me stop there yeah. for a second so with the psychedelics what are you actually you know, have you taken what psychedelics have you taken? Have you taken psilocybin? Uh, what have you taken, and how has that affect? And what and what has it done to the brain? Has anyone like actually hooked up to a scan and watched before and after of what happened? We actually have a decent understanding of what um, psychedelics do. So, what happens? What, what you see? Uh, there's been a bunch of um, experiments where you put a person on psychedelics into an MRI and basically look at the different regions of the brain that get activated. And what's really fascinating is that it looks like um, brain regions that usually don't talk to each other all start talking to each other. So um, my personal interpretation of this is that it just connects lots of stuff to each other in the brain. And that's why you start seeing synesthesia like mix you can see music or something like that and it's also why it's good for um your uh essentially your uh, um ability to think about new things because um, you've kind of seen uh, certain concepts deconstructed and then reconstructed uh and um 
Uh, yeah, it's just uh, it just connects a lot of areas in uh, the brain to each other, and that has certain therapeutic effects because, like, you connect something that was an area of trauma into consciousness. And so maybe you have a difficult trip because that's difficult to connect with, but then it's been resolved. Uh, the trauma has been uh, resolved. It's, yeah. it's, it's interesting because I just spoke to a very famous uh, screenwriter the other day who wrote some very trippy movies that you would know. And he was telling me that he accidentally took on his first trip of LSD about a thousand milligrams, pure. Micrograms, fr- yeah. Micrograms. Yeah pure from mm-hmm. I think Sweden or Sweden. it was during the Tim- it was Timothy Leary's LSD if that uh-huh. makes if you understand where that comes from yeah so he took it and he was talking about a deconstruction and reconstruction that seems like a theme a lot of times with people who take psilocybin and chips it like just literally breaks apart the the mask almost or the the the, the character that you are playing while you're down here and then it re- then you go off on a trip in that in that pure space and then when you come back you come back and he literally was talking about his fingernails were being pulled apart everything was being pulled away from him and at the end it all got put back together yeah and then he came out of it is that something that you've seen this reconstruction deconstruction kind of vibe uh, uh yes uh, very much so that's very much what um uh, what happens, and it's um, uh, there's a it, it, it's um, it, it essentially feels like uh, the way that our neural networks work, and this is seen in how AI algorithms are constructed today, is that um, uh, more complex concepts are built out of simpler concepts. So, like a, a concept like freedom is a very complex thing about society and humanity and all that, whereas a black line is a very simple uh, object. And so a lot of um, what's uh, being described in the psychedelic literature um, and um, uh, what I've personally experienced is uh, that you kind of dive in, your more complex concepts dissolve into simpler, into like an ocean of simpler ones, and then they reassemble. And, and that helps you understand that your concepts are not truly real in the sense that they're immutable and uh, all that. And that's what really helps people change uh, after they take uh, psychedelics. And what's cool as well, right, is when your concept, conceptual structure and personality dissolves and then reassembles, it reassembles a little bit more adapted to the realities of today and not to what happened to you 10 years ago that caused your personality to be a certain way. And this is actually why I think that um, as we do life extension, and I, uh, my main interest uh, in um, uh, the world is actually transhumanism and um, uh, transhumanism that really gets us not to 140 years old, but to the end of this universe, to, to, to whatever billions of years that um, uh, actually is. And um, uh, my dream is really to have the singularity happen and live for this very long period of time. And I think the reason I'm bringing that up is that I think as uh, we become um, more long-lived, whether it's 140 years or 300 or 10 million, um, we will need to refresh our mind 
more from time to time. Because usually, for example, that's one of the main things, problems with immortality, right? Because if it uh, gets you an elite class of super old people who are super rich and super powerful and they never die, um, then that stops uh, the society from evolving uh, naturally as uh, power passes to younger people. And I would argue that uh, a lot of the problems of our world today uh, mm-hmm. are a result of old people hanging on for way too long and kind of like fighting last century's uh, battles right. rather right. than, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um... we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And so uh, this um, experience of deconstructing and reconstructing um, um, is actually going to have to be something that everyone does um, as um, we evolve as humans on a regular basis, because otherwise it's just too difficult to adapt to the changes that are happening in life and to keep up with um, uh, the pace. And I personally have found that um, like I'm, I'm 37, right? And sometimes I look at what the 18-year-olds are doing on like TikTok or, or like the particularly new forms of, I don't know, cryptocurrency derivatives. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, man, I'm old. Uh, what the hell? <laughs> like, and then I right? look at you and I'm like, you're a child. So, <laughs> so it's, a, it's all relative, my friend. It's all relative. <laughs> exactly. But in the future, and I would, I would argue that you and I and uh, uh, very many of our listeners, um, at least like those who are or on the younger side, uh, will get to really live a very, very, very long time, right? And we're going to have to be adapting to each other across generations, right? So, so I have now, to recognize. Though. But that's yeah, happening now yeah. because as you can see, like my grandparents couldn't even comprehend what's going on today. My parents are holding on for dear life about what's happening today. I think my generation and your generation is more educated and prepped on constant change. Where our yeah. my parents' generation and my grand man, things stayed st- 50, 60 years, nothing really moved too much. Yeah, the cars got a little bit better. Yeah, TV got from black and white to color. They're very slow moving. Our generations, things are moving by the year, by the month, but it's constant yeah. and and it's speeding up. It's speeding up. So we're a little bit more adaptable, I feel, to the future, you know, where we're all holograms walking around. We're all going to be in the holodeck eventually. You know, we're yep. all in Star Trek Absolutely. holodeck. These, you know, it's going to be watching, awesome. It's, it's going to be, be awesome. awesome. But instead of watching a movie on a, in, a, in a movie theater, we're going to walk into an experience and maybe be in it. Who knows what's going to happen? But we're yep. more adaptable to that. And then can you imagine my kids, <laughs> how adaptable they're going to be? to in 50 years what's going to happen yeah. so but it is but generationally i think you're right i think we are starting to be able to at least with my generation gen x is is that middle i always call gen x the, the in between generation we knew how the old world worked but we also were around when the new world mm-hmm. started to kick in mm-hmm. we were before the internet and then we were there when the internet started and we were young when the internet started and mm-hmm. all this technology and the phones and everything else that happened so we're more adaptable to it. So I think that you're right. The, com- the communication between generations is going to become more and more important and more and more, and people hopefully will be more and more adaptable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that that's really what um, 
biohacking is about uh, to a great extent is to be adaptable, to have your body be in great shape, to have your mind be in great shape, and to adapt to the challenges that um, life is constantly throwing at us, right? Because um, that's uh, what we have to do, like, uh, as uh, strong people, we have to stand up and, uh, you know, bring on the day. And, uh, uh, And a lot of that is about building the right habits and uh, researching your body and how it works and building the right uh, mental uh, work, psychotherapy, all of that is extremely important. But the thing that you're talking about is a very high level of personal responsibility and curiosity in yourself, which again, generations, uh, older generations were never taught that. It was like you ate whatever you ate, you went to the doctor with the white coat, whatever the white coat told you is what it was. Yep. And that's broken down over the last, I'd say the last two decades, three decades, that that concept has started to break down and it's breaking down more and more with conversations like this. But yeah, what exactly. You're talking, what, you're t- what you're talking about is a tremendous amount of personal responsibility and curiosity to move forward. And you have to be psychologically at a place to accept that because if you're depressed, you're not going to biohack. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, yes, uh, this is exactly right. And uh, really, that's why. So the company uh, I mentioned, Novami, we're really building this product packaged less for biohackers mm-hmm. and more for just normal people that don't have uh, the requisite level of time and curiosity, etc. Because like me, I spent it's not just about the money. It's about like time. I spent a t- ton of time and really focused mental cycles on just trying to learn about how all this uh, stuff uh, works. So the biohacker, the the true biohackers uh, are uh, people who have that curiosity and who have that uh, dedication, but it's not for everyone because, I mean, frankly, maybe I would be better off um, uh, handling uh, this um, uh, thing over to a company of the kind that we're building um, and focusing on learning music, right? Because um, uh, because it's really a matter of personal choice. I happen to be a geek. And I happen to have, uh, you know, I'm from a family of uh, mathematicians and um, uh, and uh, grew up on lots of science fiction. So I'm not uh, like I, I love uh, engineering details. Yeah, you're yeah. So you're I, I was out. like learning about how all these proteins work and how DNA makes RNA and how that types up proteins and how those fold and how they work. Really cool. It's like amazing. But um yeah. So let me ask you this, because from my understanding, because uh, I'm curious as well as you are, and I've I've educated myself to a certain extent on my own body and, and my own mental state and spirituality, obviously. Um, but to my understanding, the body regenerates itself. Uh, every organs are you know every few months, and the skin is every I don't know seven years. So the cells in our body are designed to regenerate. But why are we constantly getting older and why does that that process stop or slow down as we get older is a question I have for you. Uh, so this is a complex question and I am <laughs> not I will try. I Do will, your best, sir. Do I your will best. try my best. But there's there's people who specialize um, in uh, uh, in uh, 
essentially developing anti-aging biotechnologies uh, who can describe this much better. But my understanding is, um, and look, there's also a lot of debate about this because this is a super complex system. Uh, Just to give you like a sense of scale. So your blood and our, our, our blood contains about 10 million unique classes of molecules. And there's lots and there's different concentrations of each class and some Um, You know, some molecules, for example, hormones like testosterone, there's like one of them per billion of um, molecules of like albumin or um, another protein like that. And so how do you find, how do you even, how does that even work? That's ridiculous. So um, it's like the human body is a ridiculously complex uh, system. The fundamental answer to as to why we age is that um, we have been created by a particular evolutionary algorithm, which is really that um, you survive, you reproduce, your uh, descendants look kind of like you, so um, they reproduce, the best ones of them survive, uh, etc. And humans in particular, we reproduce relatively early, so we actually, like people after women after some age and men after some older age don't are not fertile anymore and don't uh, reproduce and so essentially the evolutionary algorithm then does not care what happens to the organism after it reproduces because it optimizes for gene transmission not for the well-being of the organism and for that reason there's a bunch of um uh, issues with um, our bodies that um, uh, start to pile up, and where the evolutionary algorithm has not disco- has not found and implemented solutions because it wasn't optimized for that. So, um, as our cells divide um, and die, there's like there's some trash. Uh, that gets uh, left around, essentially debris from the destroyed uh, cells. And um, uh, there's cleaning systems, but they're not perfect because no cleaning system is perfect. And so essentially over time, debris starts to accumulate. And that's one of the processes that appear to cause uh, aging. Uh, DNA damage that leads to cancer also because uh, of um, the fact that DNA uh, replication is extremely, extremely, extremely precise, but it's not 100%. It's like 99.999 something, but there's still damage that happens. And for example, you will age faster if you are irradiated with radiation because radiation uh, works by breaking up uh, DNA strands amongst uh, uh, other things. And so essentially it introduces damage that is greater than the base rate of uh, damage. And so you age faster. And um... we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I'm assuming uh, that's what, why that's why people who drink a lot of alcohol or do drugs, you know, like meth or something like that, it just you, your body just starts to break down faster and faster. It depends. Yeah, it depends on the specific drug. So, for example, um, if you take too much MDMA, you uh, overstimulate. What MDMA does is it stimulates the production of serotonin in. Uh, uh, right. the brain and that feels good plus has a bunch of other uh, effects and um, but uh, when the when the brain is constantly stimulated with uh, serotonin 
we uh, start down-regulating the receptors. So the, the brain starts down-regulating its sensitivity to a constant ocean of serotonin. And then it could down-regulate itself so much that when you stop taking MDMA, you're fucked. Because um, right. uh, you're essentially like uh, super depressed in like really bad um, uh, state. So it's a particular mechanism. I mean, the fact is um, uh, a lot of, uh, especially the hardcore drugs, like not psychedelics, are, are very brute force uh, um, like interventions into a what's ultimately quite a delicate uh, system. Right. And um, when you do that, you are likely to introduce um, uh, damage of one form or another. And the body is going to uh, uh, act to repair that damage because there's a lot of really good self-repairing systems. Essentially, the body is a huge ecosystem. Um, and um, uh, and um, but especially, let's say the body is also stressed by, I don't know, gasoline fumes from living in a polluted part of the world or 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 something else um your body's repair capabilities are damaged and so what happens on just like a very low level is that somewhere in some system some protein does not properly connect to another protein because something else somewhere else sure. got knocked off course and disrupted some intricate process and if the error rate goes up um, then your systems, what's really pernicious about aging is that aging is actually the biggest contributing factor into every disease. Because um, uh, what aging is, is a continued degradation of these systems in your body. And mm -hmm. as systems degrade, they become worse at maintaining themselves because the maintenance systems degrade as well. And so the body gets screwed up exponentially faster because um of this uh the nature of this thing and actually some of the most um interesting uh interesting treatments for aging in in a biological uh form so not like where we upload into the cloud which i think is true immortality but um sure. in this biological uh body uh essentially the most interesting uh treatments are around um um, uh, essentially stem cells that can be uh, instructed to rejuvenate cells and right. to create new cells. And uh, people are trying to figure out, um, this is called Yamanaka factors for the inventor. And there's a bunch of companies that are working on this. And essentially the idea is how do we use the body's systems? How do we stimulate the body's systems into regenerating them? Ourselves, um, so that we're really not trying to get into this really de delicate system. We can't fix like a Swiss watch with a hammer, right? You have to actually, and in this particular case, the Swiss watch fixes itself because it's a self-replicating sure, real healing. living system. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Healing. And um, that's where, so I think a lot of, um, this is uh, fascinating because this is where a lot of the more esoteric things like uh like um uh various uh, like psychedelics psychotherapy and the more esoteric things kind of connect to modern medicine because uh, you are really like uh, one of the problems with medicine in the past is if you try brute forcing into the body system by essentially throwing in some molecule that like disrupts something and that's what you want to disrupt and all that uh, but it has a lot of um 
essentially damage to the overall system. So what we're really trying to do is how do we get the system to just work better by almost by itself, by just like stimulating it in the right way. Okay. So let's go back to, because um, we can go down very deep, dark rabbit holes and, and, and lose people. So I want to go back to something that we can, the audience that's listening can actually do to start bettering and helping their body you know, stay alive longer. So exercise, let's go through a couple of these sections. Exercise, there is so much misinformation, so much, you know, good, bad, and different kind of information about exercise. Some people say just walking is fine. Some people say, you know, um, doing strength training is great. No, other people are like, it's all aerobic. It's like, so in your opinion, and from your experience, what is the ideal um, way to exercise the body without abusing it to the point. So like these, I've seen a lot, you see these bodybuilders yep. after, yep. after that's the, not they're, healthy. Yeah. Their, their, their systems die. You don't see a lot of seven foot guys and gals uh, alive at 90 because the body yep. has been beaten up so much. Same thing for endurance athletes. Like the, the body is just being beaten up so much. So there has to be a balance. So what is a, an ideal balance from your perspective as a biohacker? Uh, I think my perspective is that the ideal exercise routine is one that you enjoy and you're just going to do, and that doesn't go to extreme. So if your um, if your concern is uh, longevity and performance, you don't need to run marathons because that's like quite a strenuous thing, and or especially like Ironman. Um, so people do that for the enthusiasm of the competition. And that's, that's cool. Like one of my best friends is really into Ironman and, um, uh, but, uh, that's not optimal health wise. So health wise, this is, um, like, again, when, when we're thinking, um, at, uh, Novami about how to help people exercise, it's more like, how do we invent ways for people to find what works for them. So maybe for someone, it's a gym membership. Maybe for someone else, it's an Oculus Quest with Beat Saber. And that's the only way that this guy is going to get like uh, some uh, movement in. I personally, I love Beat Saber. And uh, I think that uh, just like starting groups with other people who you compete with on uh, Beat Saber, that's that's like pretty decent um, yeah, cardio. Good cardio. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, so I think the question is like, when you say optimal, so you can take this uh, kind of to an 80-20 place, which I think is exactly where most people should go. And really, that's about like, you can walk, you can uh, try running, you can do some strength training, strength training is good. Like my, my sense, if we like have to be prescriptive, is that you want a combination of um, uh, light, not too heavy, but strength training. Uh, that exercises your muscle and gets lots of hormones going, plus uh, some regular aerobic activity, which could be as light as just like walking a bunch every day and uh, uh, not uh, sitting too much. Plus, maybe like you can go try high-intensity interval training, which there seems to be good. Like um, I, uh, again, um, but this one's like a little bit more suspect to me. Um so I think the biggest, most important thing is that you um, uh, just do it regularly and you enjoy it because you're not going to, if you don't enjoy something, you're not going to do it. And plus, like, I, I think you should only do stuff that you like 
and uh, that's do the only thing your app yeah right that's yeah. the only thing that's going to keep it going for a long time but also not to the extreme and i think that's the big key here is you know if i run one mile five miles is even better no that's not the way it generally works on a generally yeah i think that's <laughs> true i think that if you do something extreme you should do it for the for the hell of it and for the enthusiasm and because you want to set a record and test yourself but if it's like health wise um you a, a little goes like quite a long way, I think, as far as exercise is concerned. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're built, we're built to walk long, long distances. We're not built to run long distances on a daily basis. Yeah. A lot of runners early on, they can rebuild, but as they get older, their knees just start giving out. Like they're, uh, yeah, that's true. The, that is abuse. That... the shocks are, the shocks are wearing down as they say on the car, like, and the tires are just like, you've just abused them too much as opposed to just maybe walking a lot or just doing something that you enjoy that's not too abusive on the body, I think is a great balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think though that for most, like, well, that's true, but I think for most people, the bigger issue is just that they sit too much, like, um, yes. and um, are, are sedentary, right? So so I, I think that's what I mean by, like, any exercise is good any as movement. long as you do, do it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Now, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about the bo- the biology and, and the the material aspect of what, of our body. But what about our spiritual evolution? What has this done to you spiritually with what you've kind of gone through? And obviously the psychedelics, I'm sure, opened up a couple of doors. But in the wholeness of longevity, how important is it to have a spiritual uh spiritual focus whether religious not religious spiritual just understanding that there might be a bigger something bigger than you in your in your opinion so let let's kind of bridge from the biology to the spiritual because one of the issues that uh, i see a lot of people have when they're skeptical about spirituality and things like that is that like oh that's weird woo woo about god doesn't exist that kind of stuff uh right so i think we have to start from biology um stress and the feeling of disconnection from fellow humans and a feeling of like lacking in love and a feeling of um, being alone and all of those things, those things are objectively bad for your body because when they happen, there's a lot of stress hormones uh, that get released. And those are meant to encourage the animal to like do something about the fact that they seem to be alone and have no friends, right? And we're social animals. So there's like a very strong biological system saying like, go, you know, find uh, people, build relationships and, uh, and the like. So, um, and that's a specific mechanism, which um, when the body is, when the body is like in a constant state of stress, uh, a lot of systems that we were talking about earlier, just get damaged faster. Because um, uh, when uh, you're stressed, um, there's actually regulatory mechanisms in the body that when, for example, you're um, like super stressed, you have to run away from a tiger uh, or a wolf, uh, your body's um, repair systems just gets shut down immediately, like until the crisis, um, uh, until the crisis resolves, because why would you repair your stuff for like in 20 years when you're going to get eaten in 20 seconds? Um, and um, uh, and at the same time, uh, what that means is that when you're dealing with the low grade stress of m- many of our 
daily uh, lives, um, we are creating a situation where the body seems to think that we're constantly in danger of being eaten by a wolf. And um, that is extremely damaging to your body in very practical, concrete, physical um, ways. And it's important to recognize that essentially your mental and emotional well-being is extremely connected to your physical uh, health. Now, the question is, like, what do we do about it? And um, I mean, spirituality is ultimately a personal journey um, of every person. And um, every person has their own um, psychological traumas, every person has their own strengths, um, every person has um, uh, their own blind spots, uh, and the like, just because of the fact that we all have a unique genetic makeup and a unique life story and um, uh, all that. And so, but the key thing, I think, about spirituality and mental well-being is to take that proactive, uh, curious um, um, enthusiasm uh, for actually discovering how your mind uh, works. And um, uh, the reason that a lot of uh, people get encouraged into this with uh, by psychedelics is just that it's an intense experience, which shows you that your mind works differently from what you imagined right. uh, before. Right. And, um, and, um, once um, uh, you do that, then you're like, oh, there's got to be maybe there's something to all that meditation stuff that all these uh, that all these crazy monks seem to be talking about. Right. And then you start exploring. And I think that people get into this area of uh, meditation, spirituality, psychotherapy, psychedelics. I think it's all kind of about the same thing, because you can be using um Internal family systems, which is where you recognize different um, different uh, aspects of your personality in your brain and start kind of talking uh, to them and having them talk to each other. Or you might be talking to God uh, because that is um, the way that um, you want to. But it, it's like those are similar things. I think um, religion in particular. So I used to be like a militant atheist, um, uh, militant. But uh, now I think it's actually like a very good idea to believe in some kind of um, higher power because um, it's, um, I mean, A, you really don't know. And there's a lot of weird stuff about um, this life. reality that we, <laughs> yeah, about life, exactly, about life and just about this reality that we find ourselves uh, in uh, and um, could be could be anything. And, um, and um, uh, it's... Um, and by the way, that doesn't in any way discount science and uh, scientific oh, no. rationality and the fact oh, that no. reality exists. But we we ultimately don't know. And if we're curious about it um, and um, we understand that we do not know, um, we recognize that if we actually believe in God or in some kind of a higher power, it's very comforting, right? It's psychologically uh, nice. Plus, um, usually uh, you start thinking about other people more because most religious um, ideas are kind of connected to a sense of community and other things that uh, many of us um, have lost. I actually think that one of the things that humanity has to do, one of the most important tasks of the, uh, of the next 
kind of five, 10, 20, 50 years is to find a new religion uh, for uh, uh, humanity, uh, which is somehow connected with our technological progress and um, which um, uh, creates a source of meaning that resonates with um, uh, all of us and also um, has uh, just like lets us kind of understand our common humanity a little bit um, better and be connected with each other better. I think that's a lot of what's necessary to solve our political problems mm-hmm. and all this other stuff in the world. It's it's fascinating because I had a neuroscientist on the other day and 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 she's been her studying for the last 30 years is how, how spirituality uh, affects the mind and the neuro mm-hmm. and the and the neural pathways. And her studies have proven, peer-reviewed proven that that if you have a spiritual or religious belief, you're like 80% less likely to have depression, like, mm-hmm. for, and much, much higher, uh, less uh, you, suicides drop dramatically, a mm-hmm. uh, sense of community. So if you're, alo- if you feel you're alone, psychologically, it's more difficult mm-hmm. biologically to deal with it. But if you feel that someone's, lo- the universe is looking out for you, uh, yeah. your relatives are with you. Your dead relatives yep. are with you watching over these concepts in the mind mm-hmm. on a biological standpoint helps to nurture the mind. Like you were saying, like it's comforting yeah. and there's a level to it, but people without it have a tougher, it's a tougher road yeah. in this reality, in this life. <laughs> I, I agree with you so completely. Um so completely, and that's very, very beautifully put. Um, there's, um, it feels like it's uh, almost like a, a little bit of a cheat code, right? Um, there's in no the game of life. Because when you when you're going through a rough time and you feel like you're absolutely alone and there's nobody that you have nothing, you're not connected to anyone. You are literally a, a man or a woman on an island, and you're going through a tough time. It is so much more difficult when you believe that. But if you believe that there is a higher source, there's a reason for what's going on. If you believe in reincarnation and in karma and that everything happens for you, not to you, and these concepts in a greater evolution of a soul and these these ideas are are comforting and make, make you live a happier, more fulfilled life. Again, spiritual or religious. You know, there is dogma and there's other things in, in religious, you know, yeah. uh, traditions that aren't as good. But just the main concept of there is a higher, um, there's something greater than I and that I am part of. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. We are all one. That may, that one concept, if you understand that we, you and I are one. Mm. That that that's which is a core of many many uh, old religions that we are all one that we are all from the same source. These ideas are powerful psychologically and neuro- obviously neurologically in your brain to help you live a more comfortable life. Yeah, absolutely, and also to overcome adversity. And I, I'll actually yep. tell a personal story here. Sure. So uh, I think adversity is also important to. Uh, growth and um, to resilience. And yep. I've had like a really horrible thing happen to me about a, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, uh, got busted in Russia for having a bit of LSD on me while crossing the border. Mm-hmm. 
And um, and they're not and, they're not very lenient in that situation, from what no, I understand. Not at all. And I'm also a Ukrainian citizen, which didn't um, like added to the stuff. Although it was before the war, but it made it a little bit more difficult later. Um, but uh, it's um, basically yeah, it's been really horrible because I went from like uh, living in a. Uh, a castle in Zurich to uh, living in a horrible prison for a month. And then I was threatened with like 20 years in prison, 20 years for like five tabs. Um, and seems uh, reasonable. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Uh, I, I was, I was in there in prison. I met like murderers who had way smaller sentences than what I was going to get. And um it's uh, and it also became like a media spectacle because I'm a well-known entrepreneur there, and um, and uh, it's um, actually like it was extremely difficult psychologically because sure. you get thrown into this um, uh, situation. You have no idea, like uh, you don't have communication really with the outside world. You have no idea what's um, going to happen to you. You you actually like you're in unknown territory. You, you do not, I, I did not control the situation, right? So, and then it really, at some point, what really made me very calm and confident, even though there was no objective reason to feel calm or confident at uh, that moment in time, was really, I remembered to actually to some of my um, uh, trip experiences where I would kind of see all of my life in the past and how um, all of it, even the very, very, very difficult moments have built up to uh, something. And that after uh, the difficult moment has passed, I've always looked at it um, in like a happy, fulfilled way where it integrated itself into my story of who I am as a person and what I uh, care about. And that um, confidence from having seen this movie many times before, and it's really like just almost like it's a spiritual belief. You're just, I was just like, okay, uh, the world loves me, has always taken care of me in the past. It's going to be fine. So, and I was just meditating most of um, the time. It was like um, also quite boring, frankly, to sit in prison. (laughs) So, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I meditated a lot and just connected with this and just like let um, also did a bit of the more tantric stuff where you focus on the energy in your body and things um, uh, like that. And um, it actually, yeah, it all turned out uh, okay. Um, fascinating. But yeah. It's it's fascinating that story because, uh, you know, you were, I mean, you were already a little bit there, but you know, everyone finds Jesus when, when no one finds Jesus when everything's going great. Uh, yeah, <laughs> totally. No one finds God. No one finds Buddha when everything yeah. is great and you're on the yacht and you're chilling and drinking champagne. No one's looking for Buddha or Jesus then. But when when the shit hits the fan, that's when all of a sudden you know Jesus. Where are you, buddy? I need you. It's it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. But that's the way. But you are really. It's really interesting too because you had that these these kind of spiritual experiences, which is what I hear when you do trip. Uh, when you do, do you know do psilocybin or, or or some sort of psychedelic that you trip and you have a perspective on life that's a little bit different. You've obviously taken multiple multiple times, so you had a re- almost like a like a lot of near death experiences. Talk about a life review. You had multiple life reviews in your 
own psychological in your own in your own psychedelic trips and those were the comforting things that something told you look you've gone through crap before the universe has always had your back god is a god universe source whatever you want to call it has had your back this is no exception this is something that you have to go through for your own growth as a yes as a, as a person as a soul and you went and now you're stronger for it am i correct yes Yes, absolutely. I'm I'm glad it happened. Never want it to happen again. Glad <laughs> right. it happened. I'm good once. So, Don't need to happen yeah, again. I learned the lesson. I, I like, learned the lesson. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I almost felt when I was sitting in prison, I was like, okay, I should meditate a ton because oh, um, if yeah. I meditate a lot, I'm more likely to process whatever I do, whatever I meant to process here faster. And uh, the world's going to let me out faster. And that's what that happened. Was, and, and, so. that was a, and that was a model. That was a mental model that you created for yourself. You said, that's if right. I do this, it was, a, it was a defense mechanism in your own mind. You're like, look, I got to yes. go through this. And the faster, the more I meditate, the faster I'm going to process this. And the faster I process this, the faster I'm going to get out. And that was your belief. And that belief uh, yeah, arguably right. could have set things in motion, you know, in this reality in many ways, because you're, you're, well, you're, that's the really, that's the, sorry to interrupt There's That's like the really fascinating thought experiment that mm -hmm. I have no answer to um, is so if, if someone goes completely crazy Dark. where they just see a completely made up world, um, are they happy in it? Like if they're oh. super happy in it, like because they don't just don't see the real world or um, I, I'm, I don't know if that's actually how it's, any illnesses you know, work. I, but. It, it's unfortunate that we can't get into the mind of, of someone like that. You know, like I have family members who have dementia and, mm -hmm. and they're struggling with dementia as they get at the yeah. older. And, My grandma. Yeah, exactly. So, so you, when you meet, when you're talking to them, they, I mean, I'm still at the point where my relative still recognizes me. Um, mm -hmm. most of the time it takes, the, it takes for a second, but then the next day, if someone calls like, Oh, remember Alex showed up is like, Oh, what? Like completely. And you wonder mm -hmm. what's happening in that brain. Like what yeah. is she? She seems at peace. She doesn't seem mm -hmm. crazy or going nuts or anything. She seems at peace, but we really don't know. What's happening on the mm -hmm. other side of that? You know, it's mm -hmm. it's it's one of those diseases that is just ugh, it's just brutal. But to answer your question, or or people who have psychotic breaks, or they live in a completely made up world where they think they're walking, you know, they they're in a mental institution and they're like, I'm Jesus, uh, and mm -hmm. I'm and I'm happy. In a certain way, I guess, in that construct of their reality. They are happy. They might be really they might happy. Be, they mean, might be happier than they you might be. <laughs> yeah, they might be. Maybe that's like a really, really high-end enlightenment, you know, where you're just like, don't care about anything anymore. And maybe you realize you're in a mental institution, but that's like cool too. So yeah, who, who, I, I, it's very knows? fascinating. It's who knows? No, who knows? Yeah. Um, one other question I wanted to ask you, because this is something I have a problem with, and I know you've talked about this in the biohacking aspect of, of your life, is sleep. How mm -hmm. do you sleep better? I have issues sleeping uh, re recently, but I know sleep is a big thing, and I've talked to sleep experts as well from Harvard who've talked, say, there's two different type of people, people who need a lot of sleep, people who need little amount of sleep. Some people can function beautifully at six hours comfortably other people need eight or nine hours to function and then if you're a meditator that skews the numbers a little bit because when you're meditating a lot of the 
things that happen while you're sleeping or happen mm-hmm. while you're meditating as far as the, re- mm-hmm. the, the rebuilding process. So what's your, what's your, uh, any advice for us? Um, so I mean, I've, I've gone through, uh, I had really bad sleep habits, um, where I would sleep maybe five hours, uh, a night and, um, uh, and, and the cause of these habits was really the culture at the time was that I was like, oh, I'm working so hard. I'm so successful. Hustle, hustle, Big hustle. time entrepreneur. Yeah, hustle, hustle, hustle. Super stupid because uh, like the quality of decision making and the quality of actual work that I have done, I was doing was just worse. Like um, a lot of uh, the time I was like procrastinating at work when I could actually sleep. Uh, more and um, you know so so I think the first um, thing to do, get started from is just to we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show uh, just to understand that it could be important and to test out um, that if you sleep more how do you feel if you sleep less? How do you feel? Because it is quite individual. Then I would get a sleep tracker, like uh, an Aura or a Whoop. Um, so, um, and uh, I, uh, when I was using those, I just um, kind of a- adapted my sleep habits a little bit. So, for example, I realized that uh, even one or two glasses of wine, uh, some number of hours before were actually making me wake up at night. And sometimes like, um, uh, I wouldn't remember those wake ups, etc. So it was like disruptive to, uh, to, to, to sleep. Although it may be actually like other alcohols, uh, like tequila or something in the right amount doesn't, doesn't seem to be disrupting it as much, um, for, for me in particular. So I would just like, yeah, be curious about it and start exploring and start testing. And then there's a bunch of uh, things just to make the sleep environment more comfortable. I personally really love when the room is completely blacked out, like pitch black. Absolutely. Love it. It's so nice when, uh, whether your eyes are open or closed, uh, doesn't matter. It's like the same, uh, it's, it's like the same and, uh, you don't get woken up. So, that's something that works really nicely for me. Um, I don't drink coffee after like 5 p.m. or something. And I go to sleep nowadays at like um, at uh, uh, probably midnight. Uh, and um, I think that uh, you, you want to not drink coffee like seven hours before you go to sleep. And then um, what else? I mean, I mean working just out, trying work- to keep a regular... Yeah, yeah, if you're working out a lot, you sleep better, generally speaking. Yes, that's right. That's right. If you work out, um, you uh, you sleep better. Like looking at your own uh, patterns in terms of like how much um, you eat and when, and because some people, for example, fall, fall asleep easier if um, they have eaten some carbs before sleep, and other people like are better if they haven't eaten for a number of hours before. Uh, sleeping and there's not much digestion going on so it's it's um yeah it's it's just important really to 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 care about this right to to think about this is important and i want to invest time into it you, you oh last yeah last quick hack um whenever i'm at a party 
And the first time the thought of, I want to go, maybe I should go sleep crosses my mind. The, the moment that appears, I go to sleep. So yeah. that's a good, someone's selling you something. Um, you mentioned something um, in regards to eating at late and things. I've, I've been talking to, again, microbiologists and, and other, other experts in that field. And a lot of studies have said now that eating less creates longevity meaning that having smaller meals, calorie restriction to a certain extent, obviously, mm-hmm. helps longer because the the free radicals that are released in your body when you eat uh, are less. So then there's less repair to be done. I don't know exactly what's going on, but in your experience, would a small, like, you know, calorie restrictive um, or just less eating in general help you in longevity? Um, uh, yes. So uh, the answer is yes. There's, um, uh, calorie restriction, uh, has, does appear to have longevity, uh, effects. And actually, fascinatingly enough, the drugs that seem to be useful candidates for longevity, like rapamycin or, mm-hmm. uh, metformin to a lesser extent, um, seem to also be acting on the same systems as hunger um, and kind of calorie restriction uh, are. We we don't actually know the mechanism of whether it has something to do with free radicals or, or something else, but it's just the fact is that if you overload on fuel for our bodies constantly, you will you will be less healthy. And if you under eat in whatever way, maybe like calorie restriction, I personally find that it's easiest to do um, like once a day intermittent fasting, though I don't do it um, uh, every day. Um, And um, yeah, it's just a question of like, how do you get into somewhat better eating habits? And um, I also want to add that it's also really about the um, particular composition of what you're eating, like Correct. you especially want to cut sugars, um, and um, uh, yeah, especially want to cut sugars. That seems to be the biggest thing about um, about. Um, uh, and when you say when you say diets, sugar, yeah. when you, and you would say sugar, so everybody understands, you're not talking about fruit in sh- sugars and fruits or sugars in certain kind of natural fruits, but but sugars that are processed sugars, like sugar cane, so, things like that. Um, honestly, uh, honestly, to a great extent, they're the same. So um, if you eat a ton of berries, it's also not good for you. Or if you take like fresh squeezed orange juice. Oh, no, no. The uh, juice is, is, yeah. That's right? just sugar water. Yeah. That's sugar water. It, but, it but, is, but, it but if you eat an orange, as opposed to drinking a glass of orange juice, a glass of orange juice is like basically three and a half, four oranges, five oranges, six oranges. So there's so much more sugar in the orange juice as opposed to an orange, which is also then processed in your body yes. and a much slower rate. Uh, that's right. That's right. That, that is that is correct because um, it has uh, some amount of uh, like fibers and other oh, stuff that has sure. to be digested Healthy. and that uh, slows down. Well, yeah, and it's kind of like slows down the absorption rate of sugar into the blood. So there's less of a spike. So, yes, uh, I still um, would say that it's healthier to eat vegetables rather than fruit. But um, but also, like, uh, again, uh, similar to the story with exercise, you kind of have to just figure out what you can actually keep doing because food habits are extremely difficult to change, Um, especially since you can't like sugar is everywhere. 
And it's really easy to get, right? It's super easy to get. Um, and I um, actually love this idea that uh, someone's thinking about that, um, you know, we should start a charter city where they're going to ban sugar completely within the city. And so people who want to have like a really healthy lifestyle be forced uh, that way to who, who would, would move to live there. but um, <laughs> And then anyway, there'll be a riot in, in about 30 days. And they're like, give me a yeah, yeah. I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking, I was, I was immediately thinking like that place is going to have so much fucking smuggling. Like people are just going to illegally bring in like whatever. Twinkies are going to be like cocaine. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So it's, um, uh, yeah, it's important to just like eat, um, well in whatever way, uh, you can So choose stuff that's, Fresh rather than processed. Choose like a salmon grilled steak with, um, you know, guacamole or something rather than um, rather than like a piece of pizza with with fries, right? So, with so fr- just like with fries, yes, carb yeah. on top of carb, so, starch on top of starch. Yeah, well, it, yeah. Plus, there's a bunch of trans fats and oh, it's fried. Oh, and yeah. um, but it's like I'm not saying never eat it as well because I've found that um, just like kind of trying to manipulate your own psyche into not eating something that you enjoy is not very hygienic, and it kind of results in actually there being almost like a rebellion against that in uh, the mind, and so um, it's more difficult to actually eat well. So it, it, then it, it so yeah you could you could essentially like let yourself do it from time to time. It's just about really like the absolute key is that when um, you're gonna eat something, there's that little pang of a question of like, is that good for me? Can I make like a slightly better choice um, uh, now? That will go a very long way. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're in Rome, you're gonna have pizza. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, as, totally. as, it's as, as you should, you're going you're gonna to eat some pasta. You should. You and absolutely. I love, and I love me some Michelin restaurants that have no. awesome fresh baked bread and Oh, no. I mean, you, there's, there's certain yeah. times in life you can't de- 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 deprive yourself. You know, a good tiramisu in Italy is uh, that's probably going to taste pretty good. Yeah. Um, but don't totally. have it every day. Don't have it every day. Yeah. And don't don't do it for months on the end. So, um, right. Serge, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Ask all my guests. Um, what is your definition of living a good life? Wow, that that is a good one. Um, I think it is when we are in such close contact with ourselves that we can feel what we truly want um, and um, have the courage to... We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Let ourselves uh, go and do what we want. And at the same time, have the empathy and wisdom to not hurt the interests of of, uh, other people and to be essentially um, like a, Almost like it's almost like good hygiene, like good karma, I think, is good hygiene um, when you do anything as basic as thinking a negative thought. That is um, that is um, 
um, like that is an opportunity <laughs> that that is an opportunity to do better. So fair enough. Um, fair enough. Yeah. Now, what is your definition of God? Uh, I. Hmm. Uh, that's. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I think that um, really God is is a little bit ineffable and kind of resists um, attempts at. Uh, definition i feel almost like anything you can describe is not god because that is just like um the content of your own mind and thus uh not something that is truly all encompassing so i think it's impossible to really arrive at the definition of a god but uh for some uh, of god uh, but for some reason which again we do not know um for some reason God is love. I don't know why, but just is. And um, it's uh, it's something you see in lots of places. And once you recognize it and kind of become familiar with it, it just makes the world better and makes the world have more love in it and makes uh, you a better person. Um, so, and uh, I think also God is very much about reality and um, so my uh, dream of um, of um, kind of transhumanism and the singularity where we can build um, ourselves, connect ourselves with technology, upload into the cloud, essentially live forever, have completely different experiences, uh, pursue different things together with um, others uh, like us. Um, like that to me is a very religious thing because... Um, so, so like a lot of people bring up this, um, say, think that religion is about going into a monastery and meditating to truly become enlightened. And I think that that is a part of it. But then you have to go back into the real world because whatever mm-hmm. created this world, it's, it's like saying, you know, this thing is very real. It's more real. This table is more real than some idea that you have of about how God works. So I think that it's almost like whatever God is, if, um, if it is person personified, um, uh, God would want us to discover the laws of nature. So I think that actually science and scientific progress and the constant reevaluation of, um, uh, re- what we know about the world is a deeply religious pursuit because it's a pursuit of how of like to describe God, just what you suggested now to figure out how does God works? God appears to work on gravity and uh, on uh, uh, whatever the on this, particle, and everything. On particle physics. Yeah, exactly. And so to me, that's a deeply religious quest. And I think that um, if the new religion um, that, um, we should create in the 21st century just uh, to unite ourselves and to align all of ourselves with each other is uh, something about using our technology to become closer to God ourselves and to um, to heal disease, to cure death, to figure out how to be more happy and how to be closer to God in this life. Not um, not just in the next one. So, and uh, finally, what is the ultimate purpose of life? Um, I think the purpose of life is um, uh, this infinite frontier, eternal progress. Um, so, life 
as far as we know, appeared out of um, some primordial soup where some molecules were close to each other and maybe then lightning hit or something sure. like that yeah, in yeah. like a crevice of a rock. Who knows? Um, but um, it appears from what we know about um, uh, how life has evolved on Earth that at that point, these um, like pieces of DNA started sticking together with each other and replicating. And um, ever since then, life has been about this journey of building greater complexity and of um, controlling the world, the inanimate world around us uh, more. And, and, you know, then the plants completely changed the atmosphere of the entire world, actually, like the entire uh, Earth uh, has oxygen because of life, um, or at least this concentration of oxygen. So essentially, uh, the entire planet got um, terraformed and recreated by life. And I think that that's why um, humanity and uh, like technological progress and our transhuman, post-human technological civilization is just a continuation when we're going to be whatever gods in the machine. That's just a continuation of the process that has been happening on uh, uh, Earth since uh, those last, uh, those first molecules got stuck uh, to each other. And I think it's going to continue until the end of um, this universe, possibly infinitely, um, because there's even some answers to the end of the universe. Um, and um, it's, um, it's uh, I think the purpose is just the journey, this journey um, and constant change, constant growth, Constant discovery, experiments, challenges, failures and successes. And um, so it's this journey. It's this story that we're on. This is the this is the purpose, my friend. And where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Uh, so you can find out um, about um, uh, Novami, the company I mentioned about um, that is putting together the experience of psychedelics plus um, uh, plus uh, coaching plus uh, medicine at Novami, N-O-V-A-M-I dot health. And um, it's not a it's not actually a very good website. The product is really, really cool. Um, but the website is uh, needs in a progress. bit of uh, updating. Uh, in progress. Uh, uh, under right. construction, as they say. Under construction. So, and you can uh, apply to be in our beta. We're, we'd um, love to have uh, beta testers who help us build an awesome product. So that's um, that thing in particular, since we spoke about biohacking today. And um, uh, with the rest of it, so I'm at um, Serge Forget, like my first name, uh, plus my last name, dot com. And you can find all the... Um, uh, like my Twitter, uh, which is um, Serge W1. So, anyway, you can find all of my links there and maybe we can include uh, them in the show notes so people can Absolutely. find it easily. So, Serge, it has been, cool. uh, it's been a fascinating conversation with you, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show and, and uh, being the guinea pig that you are to help the rest of us live a longer, uh, longer and healthier life, my friend. So I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for inviting me and thanks for the cool discussion. I enjoyed this as well. I want to thank Serge so much for coming on the show and sharing his knowledge and experience with all of us. Thank you so much, Serge. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 191. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com 
forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.